Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Wet Palette Podcast. My name is Brenda. If this is your first time listening in, hi, I am the owner and editor of the Wet Palette blog for the last 10 years and this newish podcast now in its second year. If you're returning, hey, thank you. When you are done listening, if you want more Michelin deep dives, I suggest going back to older Michelin specific episodes like three, 13 and 26 to understand my angle when discussing the recent 2023 ceremony. I plan on just glossing over many references today that might sound confusing if you aren't already familiar with my history and known Miami dining and Michelin opinions. On this episode 29, I will discuss all the happenings of the Michelin Guide Florida ceremony, the new bibs, stars, and recommendations. There's a lot to get to, so let's go. Where to even begin? Going into this week, I had a feeling that hosting in Miami would be way different than last year's ceremony. Not only did we as a community have an initial blueprint to follow now, but hello, it's Miami. It seems there's a constant need to make things flashier and over the top. But would the prestigious guide follow suit? And the answer is complicated. This, of course, is coming from the best place. I want Miami to shine. I want the Michelin brand to shine. And it is because of that that I have experienced so many incredible dinners in my lifetime that I otherwise would not have known about. And I tend to be an overzealous Miami and Michelin hype gal. I, as I have stated many, many times before, am passionate about this topic. The constant mystery surrounding the Michelin Guide Anonymous inspectors and past awards reach somewhat tormenting levels last week for me. Maybe it's because of my longtime Michelin coverage that I am seen as a sort of leveling source when it comes to this topic, but all sorts of rumors and intel landed on my lap to sort through. And it was a little crazy. To be honest, at times also annoying. Most of it was just either wishful thinking or just ridiculous in nature, if you only knew. I was this close to staying off social media until May 11th, and of course, I could not look away as much as I wanted to throw my phone across the room several times and exhale. To start, I cannot say it enough times just how special and exciting the announcement was last year. There was an innocence, a sense of disbelief that it was actually happening, and a feeling of satisfaction for our city reaching Michelin standard levels. To summarize and in comparison, this year was way too big. From where we stood, way too rushed and borderline chaotic. I could not believe the chosen location would be Lone Depot Park, aka Marlem Stadium, when I first found out. I did quickly guess the corridor with a skyline view would be the attractive feature. It really is nice. Months ago, I'd also heard the event would be held at the Lowe's in Coral Gables, and that, I think, would have been a more attractive and fitting location for Michelin. So what happened? I don't know, actually. (laughs) I don't know. It would have been really nice to be there, but it wasn't. So let's start with some of the positives. One nice feature I appreciated last week was the complimentary valet parking. It was even great upon leaving. I didn't have to wait forever for my car, as you do so many other events, and my feet and my heels thank you very much the view is special as i said at the venue with the great miami skyline and we were even blessed with a refreshing florida breeze the entire night 
That's not very common. Wine and spirits were flowing, free-flowing, especially after the event concluded. Tip, that's when you go drink. So that was a plus. During the event, though, given the supersizing of the event, there was a wait of no less than a dozen guests most of the times for sips and bites. Within entering, I was one of the first dozens to do so, I noticed a group of at least 100 guests, probably more, corralled to the side of the event space. It appeared to be like a like a pre-ceremony or some kind of event taking place and concluding right as the Michelin ceremony guests started sprinkling in, myself included. There was a rope surrounding the event that was then, there was a countdown and then it was lifted and all those guests spilled onto the event, filling it rather quickly. My initial guess was that it was an event having to do with greater with the Greater Miami Convention and Visitor Bureau and not necessarily Michelin related. But they got to join in and, in my opinion, crowd in an already full event. Was there a need for that? Do those guests care about Michelin, the restaurants, the chefs, the awards? Well, as I prepared for this episode, I found out it was, in fact, something related to Greater Miami. They held their annual State of Tourism and Travel Industry presentation, which concluded with a stay for the Michelin presentation. So they got to stay after. And looking back, it makes sense. I actually recently interviewed Greater Miami President for episode 25. And when discussing the upcoming ceremony, he did say it would be kicked off with a hospitality tourism event. Completely went over my head. I never once thought he meant literally right before the Michelin one. So that's part of why it was so full. Other noticeable unfortunate guests I saw that were luckily missing last year were the selfie mob. Not just fun, normal event selfies, but the expected, look at me, I'm in Miami and at an event where I'm getting free food type of selfie guest. Do I need to dive in that some more? Probably not. You get where I'm going with it, but I can confidently say that Michelin Guide does not need that kind of publicity in my honest opinion. The influencers taking those shots do not usually dine at Michelin start events unless they're comped or it's a photo op. Whose idea was this? I do not see that at a Michelin event in Italy, France, or even the Toronto, recent Toronto ceremony. So why Miami? Speaking of other cities, I went back to videos of other Michelin reveal events. What did I find? Well, most of the other events are held in large theaters. And if not in a theater, then they're in large spaces with plenty of chairs arranged theater style. Some did show a cocktail party beforehand, but nothing too over the top or crowded like Miami was. To be fair, I did find that the New York ceremony was, was similar to ours and without a view. So at least we had that and we had the breeze. Their stage was also too small and it was standing room only. It made me feel a lot better about our event after seeing that. But the main difference, which I definitely envied once I went back to look at all those other ceremonies, was that all the large stages enough to fit they were large enough to fit all the stars they weren't cramped in on the stage and the chefs received their jackets on the stage and the hosts interviewed some of them on the spot and that was so cool because you got to listen to their raw and real in real time emotions what a concept i love it making it about the chefs in miami the stage was tiny and flocked by palm trees on the sides you could not see the chefs entering or receiving their jackets and the screen was behind the host and it was very low in both New York and Miami. And as the hosts read the names, they covered the screen instead of standing off to the side so the crowd could read it. 
So those were all little oversights. Overall, to me, the night, well, to me and everyone I spoke to, the night seemed rushed. And I was actually heartbroken for these restaurant teams present. They worked so hard all year and counted down until the Michelin invitations went out. Then they arrived and their names were rattled off quickly. And then they had to crowd onto a stage. Then those that were retaining the stars went to the same process. I actually looked at my video footage from the start and from the start to the one stars to finish. It was about one minute and eight seconds. This one, that one, that one. Congrats. You kept your star. Take a photo. The end. Wow. All that waiting for one minute. The last thing I will touch on is also the disconnect between the prompter for the host, the slideshow presentation, and the live audio and video feed. There's always an unexpected factor when hosting a live show. All things considered, the host kept their cool and tried to go with the flow, with the long pauses, with the slideshow, and when even the wrong award name came on the screen. Yikes. Not sure if that was on the Michelin side or on the park side. Again, Michelin is considered the highest standard, so when these hiccups happen, it's just surprising. Are we putting the Michelin Guide on too high of a pedestal? Expecting too much, maybe? Was it because it was a combined event with Greater Miami? So many questions. Okay, enough of ceremony night. Let's talk about the actual awards. But first, here's the list of those who are on the guide. For bibs, Bachoud, Chuck's Diner, Doya, El Turco, Gui Indian Kitchen, Hometown Barbecue, Jaguar Sun, La Natural, Lucali, Lung Yai Thai Tapas, Mandolin Asian Bistro, Michael's Genuine, Fukia, Rosie's, Sandwich de Miami, Tinta y Café, Zach the Baker, and Zitsum. In the one, actually in the two-star category, L'Atelier de Joel Robuchon, in the one category, Ariette, Boya Day, Cote Miami, The Den at Azabu, El Cielo Miami, Hidden, Le Jardinier Miami, Los Felix, Stubborn Seed, The Surf Club Restaurant, and Tambourine Room. With three Miami Guide recommended removals, three bib removals, and one new star, this was actually a case of not much news, to be honest. There's much more to talk about in what everyone expected that didn't happen than what actually did. For one, I applaud the slow and steady approach the Michelin Guide has taken so far. There is no need to rush and add a ton of restaurants so early on. I know we food enthusiasts become emotional over our favorite places, and I might have a tantrum in a bit or two about that <laughs> and wish them to be added. But as I have said in other episodes, it is better to keep a conservative approach. Talk about the recommended restaurants the guide has 41 miami restaurants that are recommended it's not a bib it's not a star or two they are just recommended i guess like their seal of approval for example walrus rodeo itame hayakawa and versailles and Leku are all on it three restaurants were removed as recommended from last year's list jato buya isakaya and nosa omakase Jato and Buya were removed because they, they closed, although I suspect Jato would have been ultimately been removed anyway after the stunt they pulled printing their very own Michelin star last year and fraudulently placing it on their window of the restaurant as if it was a star. If you didn't know that, now you know, yes, that happened. 
The third one who did not retain their recommendation is Nosa Omakase. This is one I was on board with when it first opened. And that changed for me for many, many reasons I won't get into today. But it's why you have not heard me mention them again. Interesting that the guide felt the same way I, th- I did. Food for thought. All right, time to take a quick break and I will be right back with my thoughts on the bibs and stars. A word from our sponsor. Architecture should inspire you, but most design content has been hijacked by repetitive, reality-style television. Shelter is the only channel in the world bringing you high-quality, authentic programming on architecture, urban planning, and the built environment. Showcasing award-winning feature films, exclusive Shelter originals, episodic series and shorts, along with dedicated channels, Shelter's curated film library will keep you entertained, creative, and inspired. Learn from the great architects, delve into small space living, explore sustainable solutions. Handpicked by you, by the team at Shelter, no algorithms here. Shelter also brings you exclusive originals that you won't find anywhere else, such as popular debut series, Inspired Architecture. And because our planet is a home we all share, Shelter plants a tree for every subscriber every month. Get inspired now. Find us at shelter.stream. And I am back. Let's talk about the Bib Gourmand category. The guide describes a Bib Gourmand restaurant as one with great food and great value. Restaurants where one can have two courses and a glass of wine or dessert for about $50. There were 18 in the Miami area. Of the 18, two are new. That is Rosie's and Jaguar Sun. I like this category. I wish the Michelin Guide would either remove the $50 figure altogether, just leave it at great value, or raise it to $75, which is more along the lines of at least 15 of these 18 restaurants. What I'm not clear about is if it's intended as before or after taxes and then tip. If it's before, you really only have about $39 to work with before you add Miami tax and tip. And the only ones where you can do that comfortably from that list are Chug's Sandwich and Tinta y Café. That's it. Otherwise, you would be struggling to make a combination that would satisfy your appetite with that $50 figure. I'm not even talking about feeling full. I'm just saying satisfy the appetite. Plus, $50 here and in New York are completely different. So I can see how this category is confusing to many. In other news, three restaurants lost their bibs this year. Itame, Cruise, and Red Rooster. They did go on the recommended list. Now, when the guide removes a bib or a star, they do not publicly list a reason. One would think it has to do with cost since it's the initial drive for the category. But then again, a place like Michael's Genuine and Fukia can get high too. So again, the description lends itself to confusion. Miami has a new one-star restaurant, Tambourine Room. I was very, very excited for this newcomer. I think you've heard me talk about them plenty before. I was really impressed with my first visit and second. I wrote an entire review before we even reviewed it on the podcast. It's on the blog if you want to read it in detail or just listen to episode 23. I thought this one was well-deserved. Did I want others? Of course. I love a conservative approach by Michelin, but maybe a couple of others would have been nice. I remain baffled about some of the misses, like Fiola and Naue, and every time I hear someone cite that Fiola might be skipped, might have been skipped because it's hard to be consistent with so many covers, it drives me insane. 
let me tell you all something. Newsflash, even Robuchon has misses. I have been to both enough to know and probably more than the inspector since I live here and I have the receipts to prove it. It drives me insane. Now it has made it tough for inspectors to visit, not on purpose, of course, but first they had COVID restrictions for reservations where you needed a full buyout to reserve. Then it moved to only four diners twice nightly, and now they have added a mandatory purchase of premium sake before you even make a reservations. Those are the only reasons I can imagine this longtime Miami institution existing over a decade before the omakase craze took over the city has been ignored. Is it worth a star? Absolutely. A very, very real, authentic Miami star. Florida did add three more stars that were from Tampa, and that's fair. They didn't get any last year, so it was their turn. And as a reminder, even to myself, it's not all about Miami as much as I always think it is. The guide is Michelin Guide Florida, Brenda. Remember that. Perhaps next year Tampa hosts and then Miami gets several new ones. Shocker, but I am still fully against Los Felix and El Cielo as Miami stars. I have discussed it in other details, in other episodes in great detail, so I won't go into it much again, but... I feel a lot of general criticism of the Miami stars is because of those two restaurants listed on the guide. Every sentence starts with, well, if Los Felix is on it, then such and such can be on it too. And I'm not even now talking about me, just in general Miami talk. The list would be so different without them. Is the guide keeping them because they fit some type of Latin category? I just do not understand it. And I can guarantee you that if Los Felix was owned by Jose Garcia from Hialeah, versus someone with a Michelin pedigree, it would not have placed in the guide within months of opening. Those are very frustrating ads. On a better note, I am very happy no club restaurants were added and that major food group did not influence their way into the guide. I can't think of anything that would be less Miami than having Carmo Carbone make that list. Phew. We did not get any other two-star restaurant. I also agree with that. I don't think we have any other two-star contender just yet and definitely no three stars. Something else I would like to address. A local media outlet complained that the guy did not award any other woman chef besides Boyardez Luciana. And listen, while I think it would be great to have it even, even and to just have more women representing the truth ignored here is that we simply do not have that many star caliber restaurants led by women in miami we don't have it we barely even have casual concepts with women-led kitchens we do have laurel's ashley moncada and i know for example carla hoyos formerly of bazaar is capable but her new upcoming concept is more of a casual taco spot probably priced more in the bib category so what is michelin to do are they supposed to award Chef Adrian because she's a woman? Come on. I'd like to end on this note. The magic experienced by the restaurants at the ceremony was not the same as last year, and I know some felt disappointed. That said, at the end of the day, the ceremony is just that. It's just an event. What matters is that those that were recognized now represent Miami for this coming year. The Michelin Guide is not a perfect system and there's no way to please everyone, but it does remain the pinnacle of excellence in the world. The world. I know we in Miami think we are all that and a bag of mariquitas, but there's a whole world out there. Michelin Florida will get it together. Our city waited a long time to be included in the guide and now we have it. It's still a good start and better than not having one. I feel like chefs are more inspired and motivated now to reach new heights. 
I am not happy about the increasing prices. It's pretty rough out there. But I am proud of how Miami, of how the Miami culinary landscape has shifted. To those restaurants already listed, and to those who would like to be, keep at it. Pay attention to the details. Mute the noise. Let your work do the talking. To the guide and inspectors, thank you for being here. Know there are many layers to our city. Visit more often. Talk to the local gourmands. Feel that Miami heat in the best of ways in our restaurants. Oye, y por favor, no more baseball stadiums. That's it for today. I hope you've enjoyed this Michelin Mega Size Podcasting Month. I will be back in a couple of weeks with new Psalm and Chef features, plus the return of the restaurant reviews with the hubs. Oh boy. Is a good thing he was not on this particular episode. Please take a second to rate the podcast on Apple or Spotify. It does really take seconds. If you have additional seconds, you can write a couple of sentences about it too. It all helps. More importantly, share it with your food enthusiast friends. If you'd like to work together, send me a message at thewebpalette at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-W-H-E-T-P-A-L-E-T-T-E at gmail.com. Am I still searching for that perfect fit sponsor for my annual palette awards? I am. Who will it be? Hmm, I don't know. Let's chat. Okay, yeah, that's it. Bye. Thank you for listening from my palette to yours. Cheers.